much. Wow, living a sacrificial life, eh? Thank you so much for that, Larry and Leah. Amazing. Um, we're on the theme of real relationships. <coughs> and uh, I've got a, a slide coming up now with a photo of someone you might recognize. Who's that? Billy Graham died on the 21st of February, age 99, but in his lifetime preached to 215 million people that he stood in front of in 185 countries, and 2.2 million people made commitments to follow Christ. It's amazing, isn't it? 2.2 million people. But some of you might say, well... Okay, but where are they now? It's one thing to have an emotional response in the heat of the moment when the crowd is being whipped up. But where are those people now? And that's a good question. Um, you know, were they just, was it just an emotional response or were their lives radically changed? Well, it's not a new question. Let's go to the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, Luke tells us that on the day of Pentecost, after Peter had preached to the crowd and appealed to them to, to repent, that 3,000 people were added to their number in that one day. 3,000. And you might say to Luke, if you were... Uh, around at the time, yeah, but where, where are they now? Well, Luke doesn't stop there. In Acts chapter 4, he says that the number of men who believed actually grew to about 5,000. That's just the men. There were women and children as well. There was massive growth in the early church. And it would be right to ask, where are they now? Have they stuck or were they just whipped up into some sort of frenzied response by Peter's passionate preaching on the day of Pentecost and other times? But Luke answers both of those questions for us. And far from being a sort of, kind of frothy response that evaporated the very next day, these new believers were born into a movement that learnt how to live life as a radical community together. So we're going to read two passages. First from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, and then we'll go on to Acts chapter 4. Acts 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Acts 4. And as we look at these verses in Acts 4, see if you can see some of the same factors in this description as in the previous one. 
all the believers. <coughs> I'm sorry, not being well this week. All the believers were one in heart and mind, but I'm better now. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. And with, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurre oh, resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's, <laughs> and God's grace was so powerful at work in them all <laughs> that there were no, <coughs> no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them. And they brought money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. This is extraordinary. I want you to know that phrase, that God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. This is the, the thing that changed them completely as individuals and as community. This, see, the gospel does not only save sinners, it creates a family. It's conversion and community. There's an outpouring of undeserved and lavish grace on the, on the crowd that gathered when Peter was preaching. <laughs> and, uh, and, and this same crowd that Peter has accused of putting Jesus to death by nailing him to a cross. They were enemies of Christ. And yet now... They've been forged into this amazing community of God's people. And it's because of grace. Grace brings forgiveness of sins. Grace uh, gives the gift of the Holy Spirit. And grace means immediate inclusion into God's new community. It's, um, and it overflowed in them. It overflowed then into rich generosity here in the book of Acts and then ongoingly through the record of the early church that we have. And it does the same today. It's, uh, it's life-changing and it's community-changing, the grace of God. Last week, Matt showed us a slide of some Californian redwoods. Next slide. These trees grow to, well, the tallest is 380 feet and... Uh, the oldest is over 2,000 years old, but Matt told us that surprisingly their roots are relatively shallow. So how do they grow so tall and live so long? It's because they, they grow together and the roots tangle up and become interlocked and intertwined so that they can withstand the strongest storms. And it's like that in the community of God's people. There's a sense in which... When our lives are joined together, we become so much stronger and we grow in our walk with God in ways that enable us to stand tall. So we're going to be looking this morning at one of the features of the, the early church community. There's loads going on in those two passages that we read. Loads. There's probably ten sermons in there. But this morning... We're just going to focus on radical generosity. 
which is a sacrifice pleasing to God. In Hebrews 13, uh, the writer says, Do not forget to do good and share with others. For with, with such sacrifices, God is pleased. The kind of lifestyle they were living, of sharing together, being generous towards one another, brought great pleasure to God. And it still does. It's a sacrifice that he's pleased with, along with our worship and praise and so on. And so we've got shared life together, uh, which is expressed in deeply radical generosity, which transformed both those who gave and those who received. Marissa and I have been with Mosaic a couple of years now, and we've seen lots of this going on. We've seen people... Uh, opening their homes, sharing meals. Uh, for us, one of the things that helped us uh, get, him, get into, the ch- into church life in the way that we did was just the, the meal that was thrown every week by Dan and Netta Pegler when we turned up at their house for mission group. They were so generous week after week and it helped us build relationships and feel part of the church here. And so this is going on. This, is, I'm not, this isn't a stick to beat you with and to say, you know, you're, none of this is happening. It's happening all the time. I hear about cars being lent. I hear about people giving away stuff, people opening their homes, having people to stay, uh, experiencing that inconvenience but seeing it as a joy. It's wonderful. But when Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, he said, it's absolutely true that you love one another, but I urge you to do so more and more. So this today is about urging you to do so more and more. There's more that we can do. We can keep growing in this. For Marissa and I, our deepest and most profound experience personally was when we first got married, we joined a church in, in Southampton City. And uh, a couple of years into living there, we'd been in rented accommodation. We uh, needed to, we wanted to buy our own house. And we just about scraped enough together for a mortgage to buy a house which was going really cheap because it was in terrible condition. But it was in an area where other people from the church lived, and that's where we wanted to be. And then, uh, and then, Marissa became pregnant, so our mortgage offer dropped drastically, but we still wanted to go for this house. And we were, with the deposit we had and the mortgage, we were still short by a huge amount of money for us, a huge amount of money. And we just set to praying and asking God to provide. We were learning to trust Him to meet our needs. Um, And unexpectedly and not asked for or in any way solicited, people in our small group and beyond started giving incredibly generously. Now, this was not a wealthy church. This was a church of students and 20s. It's a church younger than Mosaic. In fact, we had a special group for the over 40s. We called them the harvesters. It's horrific, really, isn't it? You think of the sickle coming to reap them. But really, they were ancient. So this was a young and poor church. But people were giving generously, sacrificially. It was just um, our small group leader was collecting up money that we, we had no idea where some of it was coming from. Some of it we did. 
Um, and we were able, uh, we had massive amount of work to do on the house as well. We discovered the building society just wouldn't lend the mortgage until we'd almost completely rebuilt it, but that's another story. And on the, the last day when we were due for completion and all the work had been done, we were still £849 short. We didn't have that money. And, and then our small group leader, who is also one of the elders of the church, told us that another congregation, because we were a multi-site church, had taken up an offering for us. Well, they didn't even know us. And that that money was available to complete our purchase. That was just extraordinary. And we, we then lived in abject poverty and because I'm, I'm, uh, we'd spent everything and we were paying the biggest mortgage we could. And people uh, were just incredibly generous. Um, I mean, I'd grown up being... One of my favorite meals when I was growing up was steak pie. My mum used to make it. Oh. Well, I... I we just couldn't afford me. I remember Marissa making this beautiful pie. It looked beautiful anyway, this lovely pie. <laughs> when we cut it open, it had celery in it. <laughs> but um, from time to time, a joint of beef would appear on our doorstep. And stuff like that was happening. Just, I mean, it wasn't... Some, when you live like that... You've got to accept what comes. So, for example, when Marissa went into hospital to have Amy, uh, our home group decided to decorate the, the house. And they just flew at it. Um, and I've never seen anything quite like it. So, um, one of our neighbours, Sheila, the, the demon wallpaperer, she, she, I mean, she didn't move the bookcase, she just papered it. The paper went round the wall and then onto the bookcase. And... But we were so loved and so blessed, and we weren't alone. This was happening right across the church. I'll share some more of that in a moment. But it was a, an experience of a radically generous community that, f that was deeply impacting on us. So we still just ama amazed at, uh, at that time. But I want to look through um, just four things f uh, that to pick out from these two passages. Uh, radical attitude, radical action, radical equality, radical impact. Radical attitude. The radical attitude was one of sharing. Um, the passages say that they had everything in common and no one claimed that their stuff was their own. Now, this didn't mean that they renounced private property didn't mean that they gave up ownership but what they had they shared freely it was for the common good and so opening homes people were in and out of each other's homes this church in Jerusalem a lot of them were people who'd come into the city uh, and never left again they'd come in for the feast of Pentecost they'd never gone back again they were like um, people coming into our city as students and never going back home or coming in as uh, taking refuge from conflict or hardship and finding their home in the city. But those who had homes opened their homes and they ate together radically. We experienced this in our first home. Uh, we, with another friend in the church, bought a lawnmower between us. You know, we didn't need to be mowing our lawns all day, every day. 
We could do that. It worked. Uh, later, we bought a barbecue with some neighbors, and the barbecue went up and down the road. And furniture, everything we had for almost 10 years was just given to us. We bought our first piece of furniture nine and a half years after getting married, um, and that was a bed. We had cars given to us, lent to us, and uh, it's just amazing. So we've experienced this, this sharing, uh, which is radical. And eating around a table together is perhaps the best expression of that because it doesn't cost a huge amount. It does cost. It costs in terms of inconvenience. It costs in terms of not necessarily always having your home as tidy as you'd like it to be when guests arrive. It costs in terms of spontaneity, being willing just to drop your plans and have someone share food or a drink with you. But it deepens relationships. It builds oneness together. It's what Jesus did. In fact, I noticed that Jesus did more gate crashing than actually throwing parties. Um, and, uh, but the people he chose to eat with weren't always people like himself. There were people uh, who society had already made a judgment on who were on the margins, the tax collectors, the sinners, the prostitutes. But Jesus felt at home with them and they felt at home with him over a meal. So radical generosity results or comes from a radical attitude, but it also results in radical action. There was selling and giving. Now, it's important to note that this is not... The, a, a, an experiment in communism. This is voluntary. Uh, it's not everybody. People clearly still owned homes. You right through the New Testament, people owned homes. But people who had more than they needed were prompted from time to time, it says, to sell what they had and give that money, make it available for the poor in the church there in Jerusalem. And later we'll see, or we won't go there today, but you will see if you read the rest of the New Testament, it's happening across churches, across national boundaries, giving to the people of God out of sometimes very limited wealth. And the, there's, it's not about taking the roof off pe over people's heads, but it's about being generous with what we have and cutting back on what we spend in order to give. And the gifts of the poor are so pleasing to God. It's not just the rich. And when Jesus makes this point when he's observing the offering being made at the temple, and he sees the rich, and then he sees a poor widow with two coins. And she, he says she's given more than the others because they gave out of their riches. She gave all that she had. And when... Uh, we were buying our house. I mentioned that there were so many gifts. There were large gifts and small gifts. But the one that I will never, ever forget in our, in our group was a young single mum with very limited resources. She gave us £25, which in today's money is over, just over £100. Where? I mean, that is just... I'm still deeply moved by that. Deeply moved. And so the gifts of the poor are especially precious to God. And <clears throat> this then leads to radical equality. It's an equality that comes out of generosity, not out of it being enforced. It's an echo of God's promise to his people back in the, New Test in the Old Testament. There, in Acts it says there were no needy people among them in both of those passages we read this is 
directly fulfills what God promised in Deuteronomy that when the people of Israel entered the land, that, if, that there uh, should be no poor people among you. And in fact, in Deuteronomy, that's not just like a promise that's, that there will be no poor people because God will miraculously provide. It is, it comes from a command that he gives them alongside that promise. He says, if anyone is poor, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted. Rather, be open-handed. Give generously without a grudging heart. Luke's making an astonishing claim here. He's basically saying that this church, this new community, is actually the covenant community that God had always intended to set up. It's the fulfillment of that. Now, poverty itself is, isn't just material poverty. Let me quote to you from a, a newspaper, uh, a Mrs. Jones, um, uh, a mother who'd experienced poverty throughout her life in modern Britain, says that it's only in part it's a, about having no money, but there's more to poverty than that. It's about being isolated, unsupported, uneducated, unwanted. People want to be included, not just judged and rescued at times of crisis. And what we see in the church in Acts is that the poor are being integrated. There's a leveling. They're sharing meals together with glad and sincere hearts. The favor of God is upon them. They have found a home. And I want us to be a home for the poor where they don't feel different, but where regardless of one's background, and background doesn't change. It's not about making poor people middle class or expecting them to behave differently. There's huge value in many uh, of the, the uh, kind of values that working class people have that, 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 that bring something of diversity and richness to the body of Christ. So and an openness to people from different backgrounds, different ethnicity, that are being molded together into one new beautiful mosaic of God's people. And then the last thing about this radical generosity is it not only alleviated poverty, but it had massive impact. The church grew it says that the Lord added to the number daily those who are being saved. Firstly, it's a tangible evidence of the gospel. When, see, the gospel makes sense when people can see it in action. A friend of mine called Pete, who, uh, not a, uh, whose business was falling apart, um, his marriage was falling apart. He went to see his accountant about his business, but broke down and shared with him everything that was going on in his life. Well, his accountant couldn't fix his business there and then, but his accountant was a Christian and said, why don't you come to my church group tonight? You'll get a, a good welcome. They're great people. So Pete was really nervous about this. No background is in, in the Christian faith very nervous about turning up at the home of people he didn't know. And when he arrived, he saw people coming out of the house and loading stuff into the boot of a car. He thought, what's going on? Are they getting burgled? And then more people came out with black bin sacks and loaded into other cars. And what he discovered was that this, the, the family they were going to, to, 
to visit that night were actually moving house and the rest of the small group were helping them do this in the boots of their cars, in black bin sacks. He was blown away. He'd never seen anything like it. It set him on a quest to find out what is it that shapes a community like this where people just do stuff for each other and share life together. He became Christian, became one of my best friends. So it's tangible evidence of the gospel. It's it's also something to invite unbelievers into because an open home with Christians around the table can also have people who are not yet Christians. So in our small group, just before Christmas, our mission group, three of the couples, we just threw some simple parties before Christmas and invited the mission group and our neighbours. And we went up and down our street, and our street is not neighbourly because it's a main road and you just don't see the other people. So we knocked on doors, invited people to our party. One guy said to me, he said, I've been here 22 years. Nothing like this has ever happened before. He was getting asked as mince pies and mulled wine. I mean, it's not a big deal, is it? But nothing like this had ever happened before. And he's coming with his family to a cream tea that we're doing next weekend. And he texted me to say, this is just, um, we're, we're coming. And thank you so much for all that you're doing to pull this community together. Well, what are we doing? We're just opening a home and doing it with the people who love God and some people who don't yet know him. And then thirdly, this creates an environment where the poor and the marginalized feel at home. That's why the church can grow when it's like this, because it breaks down barriers. And then finally, the church can grow because it's the perfect way to integrate new people. They're not on the trying to find their way into a clique. They're being welcomed into a community that is constantly generous in small ways as well as big. So I just want to finish by looking at what can help us and what can hinder us. So here's the goal. Radical community. There are driving forces that will get us there, but there are also resisting forces. Um, let's quickly look at some the driving forces. Firstly, the grace of God, it compels us to be generous. Our heart attitude towards others and our heart attitude towards our possessions and awareness of need helps us to move towards being radically generous. Open homes helps us to be more and more generous. Regular meals together helps us to know where there's need and how we can respond. And being spontaneous, not just... You know, just being ready to drop things and, and help where we can. But there are resisting forces. So when our hearts are untouched by grace, when we've grown cold in our walk with God, if you like, when our heart attitude towards others who are different from us is that we just don't really want to get involved, or when our attitude to our possessions is what's mine is mine, and I've barely got enough to make ends meet, or I'm, you know, I'm saving up for this or that, or where we don't know each other very well and we just actually don't know what the needs are. We need to be open about need. We need to be transparent. I love it when people post on uh, uh, the city or, or the Facebook group for Mosaic that they, they're looking for a bed. I love that. Or that they've got a rabbit to give away. <laughs> um, if you want a rabbit, see Lydia. <coughs> um, the, the attitude of my home is my castle, 
this is probably a big one for me. Hard days work. I just want to be on my own in my home. It's not my castle. It's there to serve. And, you know, that's a constant challenge. Lack of time, tiredness. Paul says, don't grow weary in doing good. It is possible to become quite weary. We just need the energy that Christ gives us to keep going. We need to blend it in so it's not another thing, but part of the way that we live. Pride, anxiety, embarrassment, selfishness, attitudes that, frankly, we need to be challenged on if they're at the root of our resistance to this. So what will you do? As we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, to those who belong to the family of believers, our highest priority, and to everyone else. Yeah? So let's just be generous. What can you do? What have you got that you could give? What don't you need? You've got two of, or you don't use very often. Who could you have around for a meal? And don't forget the singles. It's very easy for couples to invite couples and vice versa. Just let's break down some barriers. Let's get better at this. Let's invite people that we know haven't got a wide friendship circle in the church. What about babysitting for couples with young children so they can get a night out by themselves? And you're just giving a little bit. It's a bit inconvenient, but it's such a blessing. There's loads we can do. And we're asking God for 100 people to become Christians within the next three years across Mosaic. Let's say God answers that prayer. 100 new believers. And someone says, yeah, but where are they now? Well, they've been deeply knitted in to generous community where they give and receive and where they're bound together in the life of God amongst the people who've been just touched by the magnificent grace of God. Let's finish with the grace of God. Let's finish with Jesus. If you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Amen? Amen. I'm going to put some notes up on uh, the, the city, just to prompt in your small groups, your mission groups or private kind of study, just to prompt some thoughts about what am I going to do about this.